0: In his uh, book, Quiet Talks, uh, author S.D. Gordon gives an imaginary account of Jesus' return to heaven after His his resurrection and ascension. As the angel Gabriel uh, greeted Jesus, he asked, Master, you died for the world, did you not? To which Jesus replied, yes. You must have suffered much, Gabriel said, and again Jesus answered simply, Yes. Do do they all know that you died for them, Gabriel continued? No, only a few in Palestine know it so far, Jesus said. Well, then what is your plan for, for telling the rest of the world that you shed your blood for them? Jesus responded, well, I've asked Peter and James and John and Andrew and and a few others if they would make it the business of their lives to tell others, and the ones they tell could tell others, and they in turn could tell still others, and and finally it would reach the farthest corner of the earth, and and all would know the truth and power of, of the gospel. Great plan. Gabriel, knowing what stuff the disciples were made of, was concerned and so he asked, but, but suppose Peter fails again, and suppose after a while John, John doesn't tell anyone, and what if James and Andrew are ashamed or, or afraid? Th- then what? And Jesus replied, I, I have no other plans. I'm counting entirely upon them. Knowing what stuff they were made of, Gabriel asked, what if they fail? Easy for us, sitting in a church 2,000 years later, half a world away, to see that the plan worked. (laughs) But place yourself in Gabriel's wings for a moment. Look at the disciples of the New Testament. No, but we have a problem with that. We, we, we look at these disciples, specifically the twelve through the eyes of 2,000 years of church history, and time has been very gracious to these men. As I pointed out when we talked about Matthew, we see these men in stained glass with halos and, and folded hands and rich flowing robes and saintly smiles. It should be the next one. There we go. There it is. They are, after all, St. Peter, St. Andrew, St. James, and St. John. But a careful investigation of the Gospels reveal an entirely different picture. We're going to talk about that this morning as we we meet the Master's men, the the Twelve. You'll be very impressed. In our study of Mark... Uh, he has been proving conclusively by uh, both Jesus' teaching and his works that he is that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. People were following him from all over. They had been astounded by him. We've been spectators, right along with the crowds. But but now we come to a to a major transition. Jesus will continue to do his ministry. The, the crowds are still all around him, pressing in on him. But but now we find that he's going to go up on a mountain and he's going to call his disciples to join him in the work. In short, he, he says it's time to get involved. It's time to go from being spectators to participants see, there's a lot of work to do, and I am counting entirely on you. That call still exists today. And Jesus is still counting on us, the church, to, to do His work. Yes, I, I know that Jesus did say, I will build my church, and the very gates of hell will not overcome it. But in His sovereign and gracious purposes, He chooses to use the likes of, well, Peter and James and John and, and You. And me to accomplish his plan here's the question is the plan still working the truth is that very thought of that plan may be a bit intimidating to you you may sit there thinking no way n- n- not me you you've got you've got the wrong person I I don't have what it takes. I I like I like this being a spectator. I don't have the smarts, I don't have the skills, I don't have the abilities, I don't have the personality to participate. Uh, Truth be told, I'm a bit of a failure. I I have let him down far too many times. I'm a failure. At home, at work, at school, I'm a failure in all of my relationships. God, God could never use me. No, I'd just as soon as sit and learn. I'll come on these Sundays punch my time clock for an hour or so, and I'll listen. I, I might, even, if you're lucky, I might attend a life group, but don't expect me to do anything. Don't expect me to get involved. I'd probably just mess it up anyway. In fact, you might be sitting there thinking, I did get involved uh, before, and I messed it up royally. I didn't do it right, Um, and people got upset. I didn't know what I was doing, and you got burned, and you 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 made a vow to yourself, I will never do that again. And so here you are. And th- and you think your place in the church in this church is minimal, unimportant, insignificant? How I hope we have people like that here this morning, because I want to tell you at the outset that this message is for you. The truth is, this message is for all of us because we're all screw ups. But God chooses to use us anyway. The message today is this. God uses everybody, even the most unlikely characters of all, even the most unlikely people sitting in this room. How do I know that? Well, let's meet these very special men that Jesus called, shall we? The text is found in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. Look at it with me. And he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain and, and summoned those who whom he himself wanted and they and they came to him and he appointed 12 so they would be with him and and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons and he appointed the 12 very impressive list Simon to whom he gave the name Peter and James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James to them he gave this the name more energies, which means sons of thunder, and, and, and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, the, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And that's the list. Impressive, isn't it? If I'd asked you when you were coming in this morning to name the, 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 the 12, you know, before we read it, most of you... Could not. Truth is, you haven't even heard of some of these guys. That's the point. The outline today is really quite simple. We're going to see this this call to discipleship that I think remains the same today, and I want us to see what discipleship involves. And then we're going to look at this this list of, of 12 winners. It was time for His disciples, you see, followers, to get involved. It was time to join Him in the work. Some of them, you see, had been following Him for some time now, several, up to several months, maybe even longer, maybe like some of you. You've been following for a while, and it was time for this group, and it might be time for you to become involved. They had been, you see, spectators long enough, it was time to get in the work maybe like some of you. Jesus went up to the mountain. That's actually significant in the gospel narratives, important things you see happen on on mountaintops. It was in the mountain, for example. Maybe even this mountain, Jesus preached His first recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7. It was on a mountain that Jesus often would go to be alone with his father, to pray. It was on a mountain that he took that inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And and one day he was transfigured before them. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And, And there God's voice came from heaven again, like at his baptism. This is my beloved son. Some suggest, probably rightly, that much like Moses received the law, the old covenant on a mountain, Mount Sinai, that Jesus, the one greater than Moses, was beginning to they unfold the New covenant, so he goes to the mountain. and he summons those that he himself wanted. It seems a little redundant in the Greek, but you need to understand that that's in, uh, in the English. you need to understand that's intentional, because in the Greek it is He called those he himself wanted. And when he called him, they came, because when Jesus calls, they answer called the Twelve. That's a significant number. We should not miss that. In fact, several suggest that the Twelve, that title, is more important than the individual names. You see, within Israel's history, Twelve was important, and some suggest that here he is calling out a remnant from, from Israel through, through the promise of this new covenant, and through these Twelve, that the Matthew and Luke make clear are going to judge the nation of Israel through these Twelve. He's then the provisions of the new covenant would ultimately be fulfilled. Now, Mark does not use in this text the word disciple or apostle necessarily. Matthew and Luke both do. But we know these were disciples, followers, whom Jesus appointed to be apostles. So let's look briefly at those two words. What is a disciple? A, a disciple, we typically think of a disciple as a, as a follower, a a learner which is true enough, very interesting to note that at this time, uh, disciples chose their rabbi. Rabbis didn't choose their disciples, Jesus did. And, and, and when disciples chose their rabbis, the rabbi would lead them to the Torah, that is the, the, the old covenant. And here, Jesus chose His own disciples and called them to Himself. Apostle is a compound word. It comes from two Greek words, which means simply to send out or to send away. Apostles, we know, are called sent ones. Now, now while he does not use these terms, we see both aspects of these words in Mark's account. Look at verse 14. He appointed or made, more literally, he made 12 so that they would be with him, and that he would send them out. That's the verb form of the word apostle. He he could send them out. Notice first the order. Jesus first called them to be with him. That's where being a follower of Jesus starts. It starts with relationship. It starts with being with him. I need you to hear that this morning. Better hear him calling you this morning. He calls you to be with him. To be a disciple, to be a follower, to learn from Him. The call is always and forever first to be with Him. You understand how unique that is? How wonderful that is? Jesus actually calls you to be with Him. The great passage in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy, laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, follower, disciple, you learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and and you will find rest for your souls. This is his call to you today to follow him, to learn from him, to be in relationship with him and thereby to find rest. Jesus had called these disciples first to him so that they had they have seen what he has done in those first couple of chapters they've heard what he has taught they've been watching we've been watching him but now the second part of true discipleship is this it is being sent out to To do the work. You see, he was sending them away as apostles, sent ones, to share the teaching that they had heard and to do. What he was doing. And I believe that he still wants the church, his church, to do the same thing today. He wants us to be apostles. Not in the official sense of the word. There were only 12. But he wants us to be sent ones. Ones sent out on a mission. Those who are supposed to be doing the work of the kingdom. Having called us to be with him, to be in relationship with him, it is now time to say what he says and do what he does. Here he sends them out to preach the good news, to share the gospel, and and notice to drive out demons. That simply means to demonstrate God's, the, the fact that God's kingdom is here. The cosmic battle of good versus evil was coming to a climax. Satan and his m- miserable minions, his kingdom was coming to an end. Will you think about this with me? Um, I, I think our churches are filled. Maybe our church is filled with lots of people who want to be disciples of Jesus, and that's a good thing. I want to be with Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to spend time with Him. That's a good thing. It needs to start there, but that is only half the job. We need to go from being disciples to being apostles, that is, those who are called to Jesus and then sent out from Him to do the work. Jesus calls you to himself, and then he enables you to go out and say what he says and do what he does. Is the plan still working? We say it this way in our mission statement. We are called by the grace of God for the glory of God to become. That's ourselves. Spend time with him to become. That's to be discipled and multiply. That's being sent out ones, being sent ones to, to become and multiply fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It is not just about becoming. It's about multiplying. Being a follower of Jesus Christ includes being a disciple. It includes being a learner. And it's appropriate that we take time to learn, to grow, to be disciple, to be equipped for ministry. But there comes a time when we stop being per, uh, um, uh, spectators, and we become full fledged participants, which means we take on the responsibility of making disciples, of equipping others with us to do the work of ministry. Part of the process of being a disciple is making disciples, it is joining Him in the work. How's the plan working out for you? I'm here every Sunday. That's what Paul meant when he told Timothy, the things that you have heard from me teach to faithful or reliable men who will be able to teach others also. It's what Jesus meant in that make-believe story that we began with. I'm counting on them, Gabriel, to tell others who will in turn tell others. Whether it is evangelism or some form of ministry, we are to train others. We are to reproduce ourselves. You say, but I am not not worth reproducing. Yes, you are. You see, that brings us to our second point. Let, let's look at the, the men that Jesus called. Before we look at the individual names, let me share some, I think, interesting f- facts with you. In, in every place, the 12 are listed by name. in, in Matthew chapter 10 and Mark chapter three, and Luke chapter 6, I think it is, in Acts chapter one, there are some amazing, startling similarities. First, Peter is always first. <laughs> Yeah, Peter, and, and, and Judas Iscariot is always last. And next, there there seems to be, there seems to be three groups of four, and those groups are always listed in order. Now, we actually know most about the first group, a little less about the second group, and hardly anything about the third group. Peter, James, uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, two sets of brothers go together to form that first group. As I said, Peter is, is always listed first, and not only does he seem to be the leader of the entire band of disciples, he seems to be the leader of this subgroup. Then next comes Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and, and Matthew. And, and Philip, by the way, is always listed first, suggesting that he might be the group leader. Now, sometimes the names within the four names, four names, four names, sometimes the, the names are, are are switched around, but the first name in each group is always first. Last group is comprised of James, probably the leader of that group, Thaddeus. He's also called Judas somewhere else, but wouldn't you want to be known by Thaddeus instead of Judas? (laughs) We don't name our children Judas. We name our dogs Judas. Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, that means he was probably very politically and religiously motivated, had lots of zeal, which if you stop to think about it, he's hanging out with Matthew, a tax collector, who sided with Rome. They would have killed each other. And last and certainly least, Judas Iscariot. As I said earlier, these men were not necessarily the patron saints we normally think of today. They were not your churchy kind of guys. Several of them were fishermen by trade. They probably smelled bad, spit, swore, and fought amongst themselves. I know you don't like that. It offends you that I say they swore. It doesn't match the picture that you have in your minds, but I have proof. When Peter was in the courtyard, after Jesus had been arrested, he was confronted with being a follower of Jesus not once but three times. It irritated him just a bit. So the first time he lied, the second time he swore an oath, and the third time he swore a vile kind of swearing. I don't know what the you're talking about. These men were f- full of all kinds of shortcomings. One of, most o- one of their most obvious shortcomings was their lack of spiritual understanding. That's a nice way of saying they were not very bright. You, you may not like that either, but it wasn't me who said that. It was Jesus. <laughs> they, they appeared to be almost well dense They struggled with understanding Jesus' parables as as much as the crowd. Several times through his ministry, when he had finished teaching, they would be standing there with the lights on, nobody's home look, and and then somebody would eventually, usually Peter, ask a stupid question, at which point Jesus would say, especially through the Gospel of Mark, are you so dull? Are you so slow of thinking that you don't get it? The bottom line is these men were not your church-going type. They were not the veritable answer men, the Bible answer men, that you would expect. They were not the saints of the stained glass windows. They were not the sharpest knives in the drawer. They, 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 they were men who needed a Savior just like you and, and just like me. They needed to be transformed just like you and, and just like me. But here's what I want you to understand. They all had one thing in common. They had flaming hearts for Jesus. Jesus. And all of their shortcomings and all their frailties, they turn themselves over to God whose power is perfected in weakness. And some of you need to hear that today. You need to be reminded that these unschooled, ignorant, fighting, fearful, inept, sometimes faithless men are the ones that God used to, to turn the world upside down. They are an encouragement to every person in this room who has ever thought Jesus could never use me. You ever felt that way? Let's look at the men. I think think that you will be encouraged with how inept you are and how good he is. First, there was Simon, who who we see that Jesus gave the name Peter. He was the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Outside of Jesus, Peter is the central figure in the Gospels. In the list, he's always first. Matthew even calls him the protos. That was significant. That means he speaks of position or rank. Peter was first. He was the chief among the disciples. (laughs) Peter. And the qualities that made him a leader also made him a stumbling block, mostly to himself. Apart from Jesus, no one is mentioned more in the New Testament than Peter. No person speaks as often or is spoken to as often. No disciple is is, uh, reproved as often as Peter. And no one but Peter is so presumptuous as to reprove the Lord. No other disciple so boldly confessed Christ and no one so boldly denied him. No one was so praised by Jesus and no one was called Satan. By Jesus. Peter is a bundle of contradictions, inconsistencies, strengths, and failures all rolled into one. Are you starting to feel a little bit better? I am. Peter's biggest problem seemed to be his mouth. He was always opening it, always interrupting, continually asking questions, frequently giving advice, and sometimes even commands. And most of the time, he did not even know what he was talking about. Are you starting to feel a little better? You know the stories. Let me share some with you. There was a time that Jesus was teaching on forgiveness. Peter interrupts and says, well, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Seven times. You see, Peter knew the tradition of the elders said that you forgave someone three times, so he doubled it, added one to grow on, and he thought he was being very magnanimous. And so, and so Jesus says, Peter, you're supposed to forgive 70 times seven. Why? Did, did he mean 490 times? No. We all understand that forgiving is to be ongoing. We forgive as many times as necessary. But I think that he told him 70 times seven, because he's a dumb fisherman, and he knew that it would take him a while to figure that out, and it would finally shut his mouth. <laughs> There's the time that Jesus is talking about his coming crucifixion up in Caesarea Philippi, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be put to death. And Peter pulls him aside and says, not on my watch. God forbid it. I will never let that happen to you. And so here is Peter trying to keep Jesus from the very reason for which he had come. Open mouth, insert foot. What did Jesus say to him then? Get behind me, Satan. Even later in the garden, Peter still trying to prevent Jesus from doing what he came to do. He pulls a sword and tried uh, to to keep Jesus from being taken, and he lops off the, 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 the ear of the servant of the high priest. I'm sure he was going for his head. Lops off his ear, and I can see Jesus sighing, saying, thank you very much, bending over, picking up the ear, and sticking it back on. Peter, you still don't get it. And this is the guy that Jesus was leaving in charge. Last supper, Jesus is going to teach on servanthood. So he takes a towel and a, and a bowl of water. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. Peter says, no way, Lord, not me. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter says, okay, then give me a bath. And I can see Jesus popping Peter with a towel. Will you just be quiet for a minute? Later that evening, he boasted, Lord, I will follow you. Jesus had said, everyone, all of you are going to fall away. And and Peter says, not me. Even if everyone deserts you, I will follow you even to death. Peter, I have prayed for you. Satan has desired to have you, to sift you like wheat. Of course, we know what happened by morning, don't we? Peter denied not once but three times that he even knew the Lord. Contradictions, the failures, the problems never seemed to end for Peter. Even after the resurrection, it was Peter who led six other disciples, seven in all, to return to their old occupation of fishing for fish. And, and Jesus appeared on the shore and, and gently called them back and reminded them, I called you to be fishers of men. What are you doing in the boat? And no wonder Gabriel was concerned. And Jesus took this guy, an inconsistent, self-centered man, and made him first among the disciples. Uh, And Peter becomes an encouragement to every person in this room who has ever tried and messed up. Every person in this room who finds the mouth open before the brain is engaged. You ever done that? The one who tries really hard... And often does it wrong. The one who has a flaming heart for Jesus. Is it any wonder that Peter would be the one who would later write, love covers over a multitude of sins. Hmm. Can Can I suggest something to you? I would much rather have someone who's willing to step out of the boat, face the winds and the waves when walking with Jesus than someone who is content to sit in the boat where it's nice and safe and nothing is going on. Peter is a man who failed often, but he failed trying to be like Jesus. He failed trying to be with Jesus. (laughs) Um, Let's move to Andrew. He's not next on the list, but since he's Peter's brother, let's move to Andrew. Andrew, uh, probably his older brother. And they seemed to be a study in opposites. While Peter was loud, brash, and arrogant, Peter seemed to be quiet, unassuming, and reserved. He appears um, only three times in the Gospel of Mark, each time within a list of names. Uh, we learn a little bit more about him in the Gospel of John. There we find Andrew was the one who found Jesus first, and he, he brought his brother Peter to Jesus. In fact, that seemed to be the kind of guy that Andrew was. He was a man of quiet faith, and every time we see him in Scripture, he's the man who is bringing people to Jesus. There was a time in John chapter 6 when the crowds were hungry. They were too far from town to, uh, to, to go get lunch, and while the disciples are sent around wondering how in the world they're going to feed such a large crowd, 5,000 men alone. Andrew brought a boy with a lunch to the Lord and five loaves and two fish and the rest is history that's Andrew there was a time in John chapter 12 a couple of Greeks came up to Philip and said sir we would see Jesus what did Philip do? well he goes and finds Andrew what did Andrew do? he takes them to, to Jesus Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus Let me ask you this question. Do you think it was tough uh, being Andrew, (laughs) the older brother, seeing his younger brother get all of the notoriety and attention? I'm the one who told Peter about Jesus. Why does he get all the attention? In fact, he's often referred to as Peter's brother. That's fun. Yet, all we see is this quiet former fisherman telling people about Jesus. He didn't seem to care about attention. He's, he is the picture of all of those who serve Jesus in quiet and unseen ways. He, he didn't seem to care who noticed. Again, we find a disciple who had a flaming heart for Jesus, and he simply wanted other people to know. History records that later Andrew told the wife of a provincial governor about Jesus. She placed her faith in Christ. The governor didn't like it, so he hung Andrew on a cross. Have you ever heard of Andrew's cross? In fact, the story says that he hung there for two days. And guess what he did for those two days as he was dying? Telling people about Jesus. And next, let's move to James and John. And a couple of other fishermen, the sons of Zebedee, but that's not all they were sons of. Here we see that Jesus named them sons of thunder. Don't you like that? I don't know about you, but that sounds more like a motorcycle gang to me than a couple of stained glass saints. You can even see them with stitched names on the back of their robes or leather jackets, as the case may be, sons of thunder. Why? We probably wouldn't let these guys in our church. Let me prove it. These guys are out of control, bridled, harsh, and tough. Now, why were they called Sons of Thunder? The title seems to speak of men with great zeal, passion, well, and aggression. We see a little of that character come out in the gospel narratives. They would be the guys causing problems around here. Uh, There was a time that the disciples were arguing about which one uh, of them was the greatest. I have no doubt that James and John were right in the very middle of that discussion. Why do I say that? Because later they had their mother approach Jesus and say, Would you grant that my two sons would be uh, seated on your left, one on your left, and one on your right in in the kingdom? Bold request. Jesus looked at these two sons of thunder and said, Are you able to drink the cup I drink? No problem, they said. You guys still don't get it. It was the time they're on their way to Jerusalem. They left Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is on his way to the cross. They're having to stop along the way so Jesus could send people ahead to prepare for his arrival. One particular Samaritan city sent word back, you can't stay here. What did the sons of thunder want to do? They asked Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and torch that town? Jesus, seeing the multitudes, had compassion. James, seeing the multitudes, said, let's nuke them. (laughs) And this was after three years. They were some of the first disciples. After three years of hanging out with Jesus, they still don't get it. It's no wonder Gabriel was concerned. But I want to tell you, they made it because God uses all kinds of people. James has the distinction of becoming the first of the disciples to give his life for the master, sawn in two by Herod Agrippa. John went on to write much of the New Testament, five books, the Gospel of John, the three epistles that bear his name, and the book of Revelation. How would you like to be the one to write Revelation? These guys who didn't get it, who were often out of line, who had personalities like sandpaper, made it. (laughs) They did the work of the kingdom. So don't tell me you don't have what it takes. I'm not even going to spend time talking about the rest of the guys on the list. I could talk about Philip, who asked the uh, the Lord the night before his crucifixion, Lord, show us the Father, to which Jesus responded, Have I been with you so long, and you don't know who I am, Phil? I could tell you about Thomas, doubting Thomas. I won't believe unless I put my finger in his nail prints and my hand in his side. (laughs) You ever doubted Most of them we don't know much about. Most of them are never quoted as saying anything. Some of them don't even appear in the New Testament outside of these very special lists. Are we to assume they were just a bunch of losers who never did anything for the kingdom? I don't think so. I believe we see here men who are willing to serve with no press, without their names and lights, without fanfare. I see in these men people who love Jesus who had flaming, passionate hearts for Christ, who were willing to serve without drawing attention to themselves. People who serve, I don't know, like in children's ministry, or nursery, or clean bathrooms, or set up chairs. Not a lot of notoriety there. In fact, about the only time you see those people's names are on a list where they are being told, us now it's your turn to serve. Seven of the 12 disciples, we have no idea, what their occupation was. Five of the, four fishermen and a tax collector. The other seven, no idea. We simply know that they were called by Jesus to join Him in the work, and they went out two by two doing the work, and they turned the world upside down. One thing in common, flaming hearts for Jesus Christ. It's the only way the plan will work. When I review these men. The 12 that Jesus chose to carry on His work. I can't help but think of someone named Thomas Mitchell. And I must be honest, I didn't think of Thomas Mitchell. One of my commentators did. You've never heard of Thomas Mitchell either. He was an 18th century Methodist preacher. And this is what his obituary read. Thomas Mitchell, an old soldier of Jesus Christ, a man of slender abilities as a preacher and who enjoyed only a very defective education. Nice. And exactly the kind of man that Jesus would choose. What a muddled, messed up group of men. But these were the men that Jesus chose. And I would suggest that you take a little glance around this room. We may not like to think this, but we're not a whole lot better. (laughs) I know, we like to think that we're the exception to the rule. But 1 Corinthians says, for you see your calling, brethren, brothers, sisters, how that not many noble, not many wise, not many strong after the flesh were called. And he is still counting on us. Remember that story that we began with, the conversation with Gabriel and Jesus. He actually left out a very important truth. Jesus, I believe, would have said to Gabriel, I am not leaving them alone. You see, when Jesus ascended, He told the disciples, you're you're close, but you're not quite ready. So I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes to fill you. Then you will have all that you need to do the work. The Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, filled His church, and He has been doing it ever since. We are so filled, we are so gifted, we are so enabled, we are so empowered to do the work of Christ every single day one of us who knows Jesus. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what your personality or skills are or aren't. You have been called. You have been empowered to do work. And if God can use people like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Scott and Tana and Pat and Lucy and Michael and Laura and the list goes on and on, I could just make eye contact with you, you too. I close with this. Why has God assembled this large group of people at this church that we call Alliance? Is it so that we can come together once a week and, and enjoy soul-inspiring worship? Yeah. Is it so that we can uh, come together and enjoy meaningful fellowship? Yeah. yeah. Is it so that we can come together once a week and hear fantastic teaching? Of course. <laughs> But is it also so that we can be workers who go out as sent ones to share the gospel of the kingdom with lost, helpless, harassed people in demonstration of the Spirit's power? How's the plan working? He's still counting on us. Let's stand prepared.